Thrive Leadership Podcast in three, two, cue music. This is the Thrive Leadership Podcast. It's a place to connect you to nationally acclaimed leaders, their insights and ideas on how to help you thrive in every area of your life. On today's episode, Francis Chan. I have to say that I think I might have loved Jesus more in the past. That's a terrible thing to say. That feels awful coming out of this mouth. Now your hosts, Brad Lominick and CJ Alvarado. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Thrive Leadership Podcast. I am your co-host, Brad Lominick, alongside the man with the plan, CJ Alvarado. Brad, it's always good to see you, my friend. Now, I want to set up in the beginning here that we will be hearing from Francis Chan yes. later on in the episode. So if you want to fast forward past CJ and I. Why would they want to do that? Well, I don't know, but I'm giving the people a chance to. No, this is what the people want now. I agree. I, okay, I am with you. I'll settle down. I concur. However, mm-hmm. just to set up where we're going, we will be hearing from Francis Chan. An incredible talk. Have you ever heard a bad talk from Francis Chan? No, of course not. And I've heard multiple talks from Francis at many events over the years. And uh, he always came in typically though, CJ, with something that he had planned and he pulls the old you know, I'm going to go off script, different direction. And for some reason, some people can get away with that. Yeah. He's one of them. Because I truly believe he's hearing from God. Yeah. Like the Holy Spirit is prompting him to totally shift directions. You know, just knowing Francis a little bit, that is true in his life. Yeah. So some people, you hear that and you're like, ah, you're just telling me that because you really didn't prepare. (laughs) But with Francis. No, that would be me. But this is another great talk from Francis. He's got a good talk. Francis, uh, arguably one of the most convicting, oh yes, challenging. Yes. I would say inspiring, but I don't necessarily always get inspired by Francis. I get really challenged by Francis. I was just gonna say that. I, I feel like the inspiration sometimes is delayed. I'm processing that challenge first, you know what yeah. I mean? Or even convicted. Or convicted, absolutely. So I appreciate that and respect that about Francis. And in this one, you can't be healthy leader without being centered on God and having a, an awe and, and a reverence for his holiness. And I just can't think of a better leader than Francis to basically kick us off into this one. And you may listen to this and think, wait, is this a leadership talk? Yeah. The answer is yes. Because our internal, yes. our heart, our soul is yes. equally as much uh, up for grabs and needs to be flourishing mm-hmm. and developed as our minds are and our abilities and the way we lead people. So. The reason it's episode two is because we think it's so vital right. for our heart and our walk with God, Yes, the way we're following Jesus to be at the center of who we are. So here is Francis, who is going to kick you in the shins. And then hug you. And then hug you at the end. Yes. Let's listen in. I went through this, this phase where we, we kind of want to just be down on ourselves and we think that that's humility. You know, like, oh, I'm not a good speaker, I'm not this, I'm not that, rather than recognizing, you know what, if this is your spiritual gift, whatever it is you do, and it's the Holy Spirit himself who empowers you and manifests himself in you, like, we should look at that as something wonderful, something that the world can't even match. And not to come up with this false humility of saying, yeah, I'm just a child of God and I can't do anything right, but rather to boast in the Lord and boast about how he's uniquely gifted each of us to do certain things that only we can do and to walk in that type of confidence because we forget certain things. I was uh, 20 years ago, I was speaking at my alma mater, Master's College, 
for their... <laughs> really? We have master's college people here? Wow. I didn't think you were allowed. Um, but so... Uh, <laughs> I was speaking at the Bible conference. You know, I was invited back. And when there's someone in the room that you really respect, we've all been through this. You know, whether it's a Bible study or whatever else, and someone's in the room that you respect, and you just feel uncomfortable... And you're constantly looking over to see if they laugh at your jokes, seeing if they have your approval. And so John MacArthur, the president of our seminary in college, was there. And I would speak, and I'm constantly glancing over at him, you know, to see what he's doing. You know, I'm thinking, oh, is he shaking his head? He's going to write a book against me. You know, what, what am I, what's going to happen here? And so after I spoke, you know, did this message, he comes up to me. We hung out for a little bit. And he just says, you know... I liked watching you up there. He goes, it was fun watching you up there. He goes, you laugh a lot. Like, you like to laugh. And it wasn't just making people laugh, but you were laughing. And it was like, you were having a good time. Then he goes, I used to be funny. <laughs> no joke, that's what he said. He goes, I used to be funny. He goes, but you know, years of criticism and the difficulties of ministry and the heartbreak and going through life with people and the pain they go through, it gets to the point where nothing's funny anymore. And he says, that joy you had up there, don't lose that. Man, those were like such good words. And yet here I am 20 years later, and I'm remembering those words and going, man, I miss the old me in some ways. Not, you know how we can look and go, gosh, I'm so glad I'm not like that anymore. You know, you look at the old you and go, oh man, I was such an idiot back then. And thank you, Lord, you've changed me and you moved me and I'm a different person. I'm a new creation now. But if you look back, I think you'll see some areas where you go, I think I've actually slipped. I kind of miss the old me. Like, I used to just be able to laugh, and what, what's all this seriousness? What's all this stress that's gotten into my life? What are all these things that robbed me of my joy? When's the last time I just fell on the floor, like, laughing, like, holding my stomach, like, crying, and just, you know, let it go again? You know, when's the last time you, you, you walked onto a, you know, a stage to teach, and you just couldn't wait? And, and when's the last time you were just excited, like the early days? And this all hit me a few weeks ago because I was preparing for Easter message and they'd asked me to speak at the Hollywood Bowl. I was really excited because it was a new crowd. I hadn't spoken there before, so that means I can recycle an old message and I don't have to study. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I was like, wow, I got this file of all these old Easter messages and which one's the best one. And I'm reading through some of these. I'm reading through some of these messages it's weird to me. Like, I, I've never kept a journal or anything like that. And so, like, my sermons are almost my journal. Because every week at, at church, I would share what God's been doing in my life, you know. And my life was kind of like this open book. And now I would talk about it. And, and so I'm looking at these old messages of the things that God was doing in my life at those times. And some of those earlier Easter messages, I looked and I go, I think I was better back then. I looked and I go, man. There was a boldness. I'd read some of these things. I go, I said that? And it, it reminded me of times like in the past 
when I didn't care what anyone thought. I just would, I was so focused on God. I would be like, okay, God, I don't care about what anyone says about me. I want to be right before you. And I'm just going to see it. I'm going to lay it out. People are going to hate this, but it's in your word and I have to say it. And you're right. If we're all wrong, you're right. And I'm, I'm preaching to please you. I'm preaching to please you. And I saw that attitude in some of these messages. And I'm not saying it's all gone, but I know that I've slipped. I know I've started to listen to people and wonder how are they going to respond to me. And I saw that when I looked at those messages. The worst thing, though, in looking at that, there was this one message I gave. And uh, I was talking about my relationship with Jesus. And it was a sermon I gave right after my son was born. My son was born that week. And I'm reading the story that I was telling And uh, I was talking about, uh, you know, I had three daughters at the time. My wife was about to give birth, and we knew it was going to be a boy as my first boy. So it was exciting to me. And, and, uh, you know, we have a 10-year-old. Our oldest daughter was 10. And my wife and I were like, should we have her in the delivery room, you know? Like, I think she's old enough. I mean, it's such an amazing thing, the miracle of life. And and I thought, I don't know. She might be too young. You know what? Let's just have her come with us. Our 10-year-old daughter, okay, yeah, come along. Let's have her see it. It might keep her from messing around. And so we take her in there. It comes time for the delivery, right? It's delivery time. And so the doctor looks at my 10-year-old daughter and says, would you like to deliver your little brother? And it was a shock to us. And she's like, I can do that? And he's like... He's like, yeah, you know, and so they put little goggles on her and gloves and a little gown on her. Picture a little 10-year-old girl and says, you're going to be there and you're going to catch him as he comes out. And so I'm watching my oldest, you know, my baby girl, right? My firstborn. And she's just crying like she can't even, you know, just picture this little girl just, you know, just crying like she can't believe what she's seeing and all the emotions that are going through me. As, and I'm thinking, that's my daughter. And here comes my son. My son's coming out. And I'm thinking all the emotions of my first son. Like, ah, oh, we're going to hunt. We're going to kill things. We're going to, you know, you and me, dude, you know. And meanwhile, my daughter is, is, is watching and crying and You know, here's my wife whom I love and adore, and just all of these emotions. And I'm reading this sermon as I'm talking about that moment and how beautiful and how memorable. And I'm reading on, and and then there's a sentence that says, as great as that was, it really paled in comparison to the times I've had with Jesus this week. And I was telling the church, I go, man, I had some times alone with Jesus this week. I mean, okay, that was neat. The birth, seriously, like that was my attitude. But man, I was connecting with God, the creator, and he made me so happy, and we were so just enjoying each other's presence. And, and I'm reading this sermon a few weeks ago, and going, man, when's the last time I felt like that? That's a big problem. That I, I, I have to say that I used to enjoy Jesus more than I do right now. That's a terrible thing to say. That feels awful coming out of this mouth. That I think I might have loved Jesus more in the past. Guys, it, it, I just want us to look because there are areas where we thank God where we've grown. But some of the areas where we may have slipped could be the most important. And we got to get back. 
Man, the last few weeks have been a time for me getting back. The phrase that keeps running through my mind comes from Revelation 3, where God says to the church in Sardis, he says, uh, Let's turn there. <laughs> he, he, was, he was like saying it to me a bunch of times, but it was a couple weeks ago. And trying to remember it now. Wow, that's terrible. Um, okay, church and service. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow. He says to the church and service, seriously, you guys, I really believe God was saying this to me a few weeks ago. Like I would hear this phrase over and over and over again. And it's this phrase, Revelation 3, where he says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For some reason, you know, if you're charismatic, I felt like the Lord was saying that to me. If you're not, I was thinking it for some reason. Okay? <laughs> strengthen what remains and is about to die. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. The church in Sardis had this reputation of being alive, but Jesus is saying, I know the truth about you, and you're dead, and you're writing a reputation. He says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. And I love that because it was encouraging to me. It was this phrase that's saying, it's still in you, and you know it. You know it. And God's going, I know it. I can see it's still in you, but it's one of those areas in your life that's starting to slip. And I'm telling you, it's still there. I know you love me. I know you love me. I know at the core of your being, you're not into all of this and what everyone thinks about you and all this other stuff and all these things that have preoccupied your mind. I know deep in your heart you love me. So strengthen that back up again. Stir it back up again. I know inside of you, you've got this attitude. I remember you in the early days when you would just say, whatever, because you just wanted to honor me. But all these voices got into your head telling you you're not as brilliant as everyone else. Oh, you made some mistakes. But I know at the core of your being, you still want to be my prophet. You still want to speak for me. You still want to say whatever I want you to say. That's still in you. Strengthen it back up. There's something that remains at the core of you. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. And it's like, okay, Lord. Man, I hear that. I hear that. I want to get back. Thank God you rescued me from who I used to be. But there are some areas where I like the old Francis better. And that childlike faith that just believe God could do anything? Am I stirring up some memories in this room where you go, man, I remember I used to believe in anything, like God could do anything through me. And what happened? And I believe God's saying to us right now, strengthen that. I know it's still in you. I know it's still in you. I know you've been beat up. I know you've been criticized. I know you've made some mistakes too, and it's caused you to waver in your confidence strengthen what remains and is about to die. It's reminded of the verse um, that my wife had painted on one of our walls. It was 2 Chronicles 16.9 where it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Think about this verse. God says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro the earth. Like God is looking for someone to strongly support. 
It's not like something we have to beg him for. Like, God, please, please, I know you don't want to bring glory to your name, but please do it anyways. You know, I know you don't want me to be this godly leader that's going to, you know, bring all these people, but do it. No, it's not that. God says, I'm looking. I am looking to something God wants to do is bring glory to his name. And it says that he's searching. He's looking to and fro throughout the earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. See, I believe this is true right now, that God is looking to and fro throughout this room, going, man, I want to give strong support to someone. I mean, can you imagine God Almighty saying, I want to pick someone to give strong support. Like, I want to just make him or her so strong where everyone is just blown away going, how in the world did you just do that? How in the world did you do that? How did you get through that? That's impossible. Like God wants to do that for a person, and he's actively looking and going, man, whose heart is blameless in there? Who's the person in this room that isn't about themselves? Who's in that room that's still about my glory? Who's in that room that prays for everyone else's churches more than his own? Because he's going, God, I don't even care where you lift yourself up. Just do it in someone in this room. Like, I'm just tired of the name of Jesus being squashed. I'm tired of your law being laughed at by the world. So just lift up anyone in that room, God. I just want you to do something supernatural through someone so that the name of Jesus would be lifted up. I don't care if it's me. Of course I'd love to be a part of that. But God, this is the cry of my heart. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to see that here Can I just get glimpses of your kingdom through some of the people in this room where everyone can't deny, okay, that was of God, that was of God, that was impossible. You could not have done that in the flesh. That was Jesus, and they worshiped Jesus. God's looking, okay, who cares about that anymore? I'm looking for that blameless heart who just wants me to lift up myself, and I want to strongly support him. What I love about that verse is the context of that story. The context of that verse is amazing. A lot of us have heard that verse quoted before, but do you know the context? It is so wonderful. It's the story of King Asa in uh, 2 Chronicles 15. It talks about this king, and it says in, in verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 15, it says, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. If you forsake him, he'll forsake you. And so he goes on and he talks about how he started changing everything. In verse 8 it says, when he heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage. He put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country in Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule, the house of the Lord. He gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were residing with them for great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. They were gathered there. And it says, verse 11, they sacrificed 700 oxen, 7,000 sheep. Verse 12, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart, with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord with loud voice and shouting with trumpets, with horns. All Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and had sought him with all their desire, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. 
Even Maka, his mother, King Asa removed from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for her Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it, and burned it at the book Kidron. I love this. You know, this guy, he hears the word, and he goes, you know what, that's it. We're done doing these old things. Someone, we're going to rebuild that altar right there. We're going to tear down all of these idols everywhere else, gather all the people around. We're going to make a covenant to the Lord right now. You guys ready for this? We're going to go back to loving him with every fiber of our being, okay? We're done with this half, you know, let me kind of just get to heaven type of thing and kind of have a little bit of a relation. I'm, I'm done with that. I want to love him with all of my heart, all of my soul, and say, you know what? Nothing, nothing is held back from you. Just take me. Have me. I, I got to get back to that. He made everyone make that covenant, and then he says, oh, you guys don't want to make it? Okay, kill that guy right there. You know, it was just... He's just like, look, we're not going to mess around. Everything is changing. This is what we're going to do. We're going to please God. Mom, are you kidding me? Mom, you're no longer queen. You're done. Cut that thing down. Burn it down at the brook. Mom, get out of here. We're serving God now. There's no messing around here. I mean, I love this. I go, man, this guy is amazing. Amazing. And it says in verse 19, there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of King Asa. So for those 35 years, okay, now we're going to have peace. And I go, man, what an amazing leader. But then chapter 16, in the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Assyria, who lived in Damascus, saying, here's a covenant between me and you as there was between my father and your father. I'm sending you silver, gold, break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. So 36 year comes and suddenly a war is about to break out. So what does the king do? He goes and he finds this other king. The king of Syria, he goes, hey, remember there's a covenant between you and me. Don't team up with that guy. Team up with me. Here's a bunch of gold. Here's a bunch of silver. You're on my team, right? And he goes and recruits help, which we would look at and go, big deal, right? We would say that's wisdom. You know, if an army's attacking you and you can create an alliance with someone else, create it and let's go. But look at verse 7. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. Because the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this. From now on, you will have many wars. God looks at him and goes, what are you doing? For 35 years, who saved you? Didn't you always have armies that were bigger than yours? Don't you remember the early days when it just seemed like this is impossible? And what did you do? You cried out to me and I saved you. 
Every time, think about the armies you defeated. They were way over your head. Think about the things I did. And now, oh, you're, you know, you're the big king now. 35 years. Oh, I got other king buddies with big armies. Let me recruit them. Let me use them. I mean, these are resources he gave me. And he goes, what are you doing? He says, that was a foolish thing you did. He goes, don't you realize God in heaven's looking around, looking for someone to support? And yet you're not even going to him. You're going to this other king. Because he has resources. He's got giftedness. You've got this ability to, because you've got all these alliances now. He goes, that was dumb. He goes, from now on, you're going to go to war because you no longer relied on God. And what I hate is verse 10. It says, then Asa was angry with the seer, put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the time. So he doesn't repent when this guy tells him. He goes, you know what? That ticks me off. Someone put him in the stocks, torture him. What? But then it goes on in verse 12. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. So then I'm reading on. I'm like, okay, on the 39th year, God says, I'll get his attention. I'll put a disease on his feet so that he can't turn anywhere. And I'm going, okay, he's going to turn around. He's going to turn around, right? But then it says, yet even in his disease... He did not seek the Lord. He sought help from physicians. Come on, come on, remember the old days. Like, okay, okay, but then it's going to get better, right? Verse 13, and Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. I go, that's the way it ends? This guy that started off so well, so focused. I'm reading, I'm like, man, this is so cool. I mean, didn't we get excited when you're reading the beginning? Like, I want to be like him. I want to be like him. And then what happens in the 36th year? He starts turning and changing and going, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good leader now. I've got resources. Let me hire some consultants. Let me do this. Let me do that. Let me learn from this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And God's going, is that how you got here? Is that how you got here? Man, remember when you were just a stupid kid that was in love with me? Remember when you first got into ministry and you're just like, I don't know what I'm doing, God. I just love people. I want to see them go to heaven. I just want to... And things started happening, didn't they? And then what happened? Somewhere you switched. You flipped. And it was like you started reaching to these other things and all this pressure. And you go, well, maybe I need to study this more. Maybe I need to learn from this guy. And you're reaching, reaching, reaching. And God's going, man, remember the early days you just relied on me? Get back to that. Get back to the time where you relied on me. Don't keep just grabbing for different things. It's like someone was illustrating the other day. I heard him speak. He goes, it's like those times when you're looking all around the house for your keys. And it's right there in your pocket, right? We've all done it. And sometimes we're reaching for all of these solutions because life's getting more stressful. Ministry's getting more difficult. Or maybe it's getting bigger and, and I, I don't know how to handle it. Or maybe it's getting smaller and I don't know how to handle that. And, and we're running, 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 running. And God's saying, man, don't you remember? I'm right here. Will you repent and do the things you did at first? Remember that faith you used to have in me? I think it's still in there. Strengthen it up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. I believe God loves doing the impossible. He goes, man, don't you remember, king, when you had the army and it was impossible for you to defeat? What did I do? I defeated them for you. I love doing that because then everyone knows I did. It's just like with Gideon. 
when he says, look, I don't want you going out with that many men. I want to give you a little, little crummy little army here. It's just a few guys so that when it's all done, everyone knows you didn't do that, Gideon. Your army didn't do that. Your experts didn't do it. You didn't hire a great army to get it done. I just want you and a few raggedy little men, and I want to do something amazing to lift it up. And God says, that's what I want to do in this room. Does anyone still believe in me? Does anyone in that room still believe that I can do that, that I don't need an expert? In fact, I'll probably choose the lowly, the ones who are not the foolish to shame the wise. Why? So that no one can boast before me. But it's a matter of whether or not you're willing to humble yourself. God wants to do the impossible through us. I was praying this morning, because this is just where my heart is right now. I go, God, I just don't want to do what any unbeliever could do. I told God this again this morning. I said, God, if all I'm going to do with the remainder of my life is stuff that any unbeliever could do, then I don't want to live anymore. If I can't experience God and have him do things that just don't make sense, then how does that bring him any glory? People say, well, of course Francis did that. He hired this guy, this guy, and this guy. I don't want to do saying, oh, we brought David Copperfield to church and and the place was packed. Praise God. (laughs) Anyone can do that. Listen, I, I believe that there's no other name but the name of Jesus by which man can be saved. I do. I believe that was the point of some of these Old Testament stories is God saying, I want to go head to head against these other gods that you call gods, because they're not. Go ahead, dance all day, cut yourselves, pray to Baal. Guess what? He's not going to answer you. I'm the one living true God. God says, look at you guys that are going to bow down to idols. He doesn't go, you know, oh, that's beautiful. There's many ways. No, he says, think about what you're doing. You just cut down a tree. You cut down a tree, half of it you use to burn in the fire to keep yourself warm and to bake bread. The other half you bowed down and said, you made me? You made an idol out of that and bowed down? He goes, would you use your head for a second? Think about, this is what God says. God is not politically correct. He says, look, I'm the one true God. I'm going, God, I want to see that in my life. Well, I pray to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I I pray to the God who sent his son, Jesus, who died on that cross for me. And God, I want you to answer and do things where people go, no way, how did that happen? I go, otherwise, just take me right now. I don't don't want to just go through the motions. Look, this isn't a game to me. Either, Either I match up to what I see in this book or forget it. I mean, you understand what we're after is not just getting a bunch of people in a room. I hope we're on the same page still. I hope you still believe in the supernatural, that you really believe someone, seriously, in a conversion experience is just dead in their trespasses and sins, just kind of walking and doing whatever feels good. Oh, that seems like that'd be fun. I'm going to do that. That seems fun. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go for this. I'm going to go for that. And then suddenly something happens where the Spirit of God enters that person's life. And suddenly... It's like this new life where, man, I've got a new master now. And, and suddenly I, I hate that old stuff. And they, they change. You know, like the Thessalonian church where Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 4, he goes, man, I know you were called by God. 
I know he has chosen you because I hear about how you turned away from idols and suddenly you, you're serving the living God. You're waiting for his return. You're speaking about him. I don't have to sit here and beg you, please say something about Jesus. No, it's in your heart and you're preaching it and you're saying it like something entered into you and you're a new creation now. I mean, isn't that what we want to see Rather than these, oh, let me really, really work hard to manipulate you, and maybe you'll raise your hand, you know, or a finger, or just blink at me, and then maybe there'll be the tiniest bit of fruit, but sometimes there's no fruit for like 15 years, and then it's really small, and then you don't even know if it's fruit. I'm done with that. That's not what I see in Scripture. I see transformation, and I want that again. See, stuff that's impossible, where you'd look and go, there's no way. It's like something possessed him, and you're like, yeah, exactly. That's all I want to see anymore, is possession. Just your spirit possessed. You're following something else. I want church to be supernatural, supernatural. When have you ever been a part of a gathering where an unbeliever would walk in and go, this is impossible. There's no way you guys could love each other that much. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about love here. When's the last time you're part of a group where an unbeliever could walk in and go, that is impossible. No one loves each other that much. You guys are like a body. It just seems like everyone's an extension of each other. You bear with one another. You put up with one another. Like you don't even care. Like there's no one in need amongst you. It's like if someone needs something, someone sells something they have and gives it to them. Like I never see this. Man, when have you been a part where you just know clearly, wow, it's like this group of people, they're possessed. They're like in this trance where they just love each other no matter what they do to each other. They're just in love and they care. Man, I, I got a glimpse of this just a couple of weeks ago. Heard about a buddy of mine who in church, they said, hey, you know, this guy, his uh, wife just died. He's blind. He, no one's driving him to the dialysis treatments because he's got no kidneys. And can someone drive him like at five in the morning or whatever? And buddy of mine's like, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take him. I don't know him, but I'll, I'll take him. If he's a brother, man, I'll do anything for him. I'll, I'll take him. Just drives him. Sat there as they're cleaning out his blood hours. Some of you guys know about the treatment. It's, it's crazy. He's talking to him and says, how long before a kidney transplant? Forget it. Months, years. Overhears his blood type and goes, that's my blood type. Looks over at the guy and says, I want to give you one of my kidneys. Here's an older man who you, don't, you hardly know him. You've got two kids. You've got a life. You know how dangerous this is? You don't just give this. And he's going, well, Jesus said if you got two shirts. <laughs> See, that's the stuff where people walk in and go, shut up. There's no way. No way you could love someone that much. And he goes, no, that's my brother in Christ. See, that's all I want to see anymore. I go, God, I don't want stuff that we can fake. I don't want stuff we can do in the flesh. You understand? But all of this, this isn't going to happen by hiring experts. This is the stuff where you go back like King Asa and you just go, man, I remember the early days where I just relied on the Lord. We're asking him to do things that are impossible. God, I can't bring a person to life. I can make a person cry. I can. I got some good stories that'll make you cry. I did it to somebody. How many cried? A few of you cried? Okay, see, I can do that, but bring the dead to life. Forget it. 
Have someone change your life completely and say, from now on, I'll die for this. I'm joyfully selling everything I have. I don't even care anymore because I know what the future is all about. To have someone turn and suddenly turn from their sin and hate it and start talking about Jesus boldly, I can't make that happen. To say, please give your kidney up to someone today, you don't make these things happen. It's from reliance. It's the impossible. And I hope you leave here today going, you know what? That's all I want to do with my life anymore. If this can be explained humanly, it's not enough for me. How does that bring glory to God? Can we pray and believe, you guys? I mean, like, really believe. Like, not just go, okay, I think my church will be a little bit better. But to go, no, God, I want the real thing. I want the miracles again. I want the real thing. I want love that can't be explained any other way and repentance that can't be explained or manipulated. It's the possession of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to pray a prayer of reliance right now. So would you bow your heads right now? And would you rely not on the sermon I gave, but rely on this prayer I'm about to pray over you? Like this is, like you need this from me. You need this from me. I need this from you. We need this. We need this more than we needed this whole conference. It's to come before Almighty God in absolute dependence right now. He's looking right now. He's searching to and fro. Who still believes in me? God, I want to believe in you. I want to believe in everything I see in the Bible, God. I don't get caught up in all these other words and things that people say we got to do. God, you chose like the most foolish, like nothing people in the Bible. You did these things that were impossible, Lord. I don't want to try to like do things that are almost as good as the world does it and imitate them. God, I want to see the impossible. We worship you because we want to see the impossible. And I want to manipulate. God, it stresses us out to try to do things in the flesh and to try to keep up. It just stresses us out. Make us like kids again, God. Please. And I remember as a kid, like being in Sunday school, and I would hear about David and Goliath and Jonah. And I just walk out like believing, like I could shut the mouths of lions, like I could do anything. <laughs> I gotta hear the way some of my little kids talk, and they're just so sure you could do anything, Lord. And then I just get older, and I try to think, and I try to work, and I try to fix stuff. God, it's because I'm not seeing you enough. God, please, please, God. Help us to see through the fog. Help us to see through our arrogance. Help us to believe and just rely on you and go, no, you can defeat armies. God, I don't want to believe that I'm in the 36th year and, and trying to do things on my own now, God. We want to repent. We want to repent and say, God, the greatest things in our lives were not accomplished by us. You did them. We didn't plan them out. We didn't strategize. We didn't figure it out. You did it. It was just crazy, and we know it. I look back to times in my life when it was just crazy. The way you just put things together, and you, you set things up, and all my mistakes, you would fix them. God, I just want to go back to that, Lord. Help us to go back to the time when we relied on you most. 
And take us even further than that, Lord. Use the wisdom that we've gained over the years. Use the gray hairs and the wisdom that we've learned, Lord. But make us reliant like little kids again, just full of faith, believing you can do anything. God, I don't want fake conversions anymore and the appearance of fruit. I want the real thing, fruit that will last. We want to see people converted where the Spirit just falls upon them and they are a changed person. And we couldn't stop that. We couldn't talk them out of following you if we tried. That's what we want to see. We want to see churches where the love is so real and thick that we couldn't offend a person enough to make them stop loving us because they love us by the power of Christ who was on the cross praying for people's forgiveness. God, we want to be like that, like Jesus. God, we're just tired of playing church. We want the supernatural thing or nothing at all. And God, we know our hearts are not blameless, so fix it, Lord, because we believe you're looking right now. So purify our hearts, because we I think we would all say we want to be strongly supported by you. We all just love when we know you're with us. I want more of that, more of that in my life. We all do. Please, Lord, may we have more of you. May we experience you more. Support us more. Help us humble ourselves so you will lift us up to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. I told you he was going to kick you mm. directly in the shin bone. How's <laughs> he, it feeling? It's not feeling good. Now, he's challenging just like we knew Francis would be, but it is needed. Yeah. As you're listening to this, again, on the treadmill, on the mower, hopefully a riding lawnmower. Yes. Raise your hand if you're on the riding lawnmower right now. I see that hand. Yeah, I see that hand. If you're pushing the mower, then Lord bless you. Right. Especially if you're somewhere in the south where it's really hot right now, probably. But wherever you are, take a moment, think about what's the practical thing to take away. What's mm. the one thing you can take away from this episode? Write it down in your Moleskin, put it in your Notes app on your phone, mm -hmm. Evernote, wherever you like to capture things. And we really want this to soak in and let God convict you, challenge you, encourage you around what Francis had to say, because that's the goal here is not just to walk away and hear something, but actually do something with it. Absolutely. And if you love this and you're going, I want to dive in deeper, thriveconference.org. Go to Thrive Now. Ton of resources, interesting articles and videos and things for you that are going to just enhance you as a leader in your church. Yeah. And if you're listening to this before May the 4th, you can register still. I think there's a few seats left for Thrive Conference in Sacramento. Right. It was sold out expanded some seating been sold out like four times because <laughs> it sells out on the capacity and then right. the capacity gets raised that's right which is always a good problem to that's have a great problem four thousand plus yes. leaders so you can be part of that thriveconference.org you can still register and if you're listening to this after may the 6th you can always come to thrive 2018 that's true or other thrive gatherings soon to be named mm. because Here's the thing I've learned about Thrive and the Thrive brand, the Thrive community, the Bayside Church staff, is that <laughs> CJ and crew, and namely sort of one Grand Pumba. That's more accurate. Love yes. to sort of make things up that are gonna be fun as they go. So Great. you never know, there might be like 12 different events this fall. That is very true. That happen that you, right. you're not even aware of at this point, but you know, a week right. out, 
You right. have to come up with a brand new website. Of course. A yeah. brand new brochure. That could happen. A brand new look and feel design, a brand new video. The whole thing. How many more brand news can I add to that? <laughs> <laughs> You've been there. You've done that. Oh, yeah. So what we're saying is, is that you always need to pay attention yes. to the old thriveconverse.org or yes. Thrive Now. Right. Stay in the know. Stay in Listen the know. Listen to the podcast. You never know what might be coming up, even if it's not planned right now. Correct. That's the advice I have for you That is good advice. At and the you end know what? of the episode. It's well said. Well, the next episode is going to be even better. We're going to hopefully keep getting better. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep striving to bring you good content, helpful stuff. That's our goal here on the Thrive Leadership Podcast. And so until next time, we hope you have a great week. We'll talk to you very soon. This has been the Thrive Leadership Podcast. To download, re-listen to, and share this episode, go to thriveconference.org.